All right, let's get into the sermon. Uh, we have been going through the book of Ephesians here for uh, ever since we, we got the, the church kicked off here. And so um, if you have your Bibles here um, or you want to follow along on your phone, you can go to Ephesians 3. We're going to be in Ephesians 3, 1 to 13 today. Um, while you're turning there, just a little recap of where we've been. Um, we have kind of broken the book of Ephesians up into five kind of key themes, five different sections uh, of, the, of the passage. And so we talked in the, in the, the first few weeks about uh, chapter one where this unfolding plan of God's grace is revealed uh, to us. And we get a big picture view of what God is doing and how God's people, the church, are a part of that. Um, in the second chapter, uh, we spent a couple weeks in that. Um, in the beginning of the chapter, we talked about how um, we have been uh, made new by Christ. We've been we've been made uh, we've been we've been given newness of life and made alive by God in His Spirit and His Son. Um, and then, as we are made new, we are brought together. And this is what we talked about last week. We are got brought together by Christ, and all. Uh, all dividing walls of hostility, anything that we would use to divide ourselves uh, within God's people is completely, they completely lose their ultimacy. And we are brought together into full and complete unity uh, in Jesus Christ alone. And so that's where we've been, and that is um, kind of leaves us where we're at today. And this is actually the last uh, sermon uh, through like the first half of the book. So the first half of the book is kind of like um, this big picture of this plan that God has and, and his uh, goal and how the church fits into that and what God is doing in people. And um, we're going to have a little excursus next week. Actually, Paul uh, says a prayer for anyone who's reading. He actually puts a prayer in the letter for them. And then after that, Paul is actually going to spend the rest of the book, so chapters 4 through 6, uh, talking about what it looks like for us uh, to actually live within this. So it's going to get a little bit more practical than it's been, a little less high level. So that should be pretty fun. Um, and so we'll get that going here in uh, a couple weeks where we'll be getting into that. So, But before we do, this is kind of like the payoff, I think, of, of everything that's come before it. And you'll kind of see uh, why that's the case here uh, in a little bit as we jump into the passage. So let's just do it. Ephesians 3, 1 to 4. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So pause. So Paul, the writer of this, um, the writer of this letter, is likely writing it from prison. Um, when you're in prison, you don't have much else to do, so a lot of people just write. And Paul decided, why don't I write some letters to some of these churches that I've helped to plant, or I, I pastor in some way. And so he sends out several letters from uh, prison. And Ephesians is probably one of those letters. So he's, he kind of alludes to that uh, in this passage. Now, stick a piece of gum on that, put it under your chair, and save it for later. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit here, okay? But just keep that in the back of your mind, okay? Paul is probably writing from prison here. All right. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So Paul is saying that the grace that God has given to Paul, this gift that he's been given, um, makes him also aware of uh, the mystery of Christ. Some revelation is given to him. Now, we don't know what that looked like, right? We don't know um, if that meant Paul spoke directly to God. We don't know if Paul discovered it in some other way and understood that to be uh, this revelation given to him by God. But what matters is that he has 
understood this mystery. And his goal is to uh, let the Ephesians or whoever else is reading this letter to know what the mystery of Christ is. Um, and we've actually seen, if you go back to our very first sermon we did in the series, in the very beginning of, of, of the letter, um, Paul has actually referenced this mystery already. So let's hop back there, okay? So this is Ephesians 1, 8b to 10. With all wisdom and understanding, he, this is, this is God, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. That plan, that mystery, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So it's something that Paul says is revealed to the whole church, or it will be revealed to the whole church. And that's part of God's plan. You see, there's a bunch of stuff that's a part of God's plan uh, for his people in chapter 1. And this is one of those things. The mystery of his will is revealed to us, specifically God's church. That's one of the benefits of of being a part of his church. And he kind of hints at it, but he doesn't really go into depth on it. And he picks up a little bit on it, and actually he uh, is a little more precise in this mystery in chapter 3. The mystery in chapter 1, though, is talking about bringing together unity to all things in heaven and earth. Bringing those two together. Letting there not be a gap between them anymore. Okay? So let's get back to chapter 3. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations that it has, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in, in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, we talked about that last week, right? So if you want to learn a little bit more, uh, you weren't here last week, you want to learn a little bit more about what it looks like for Jews and Gentiles and everybody, right? It doesn't matter what your race is, doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status, doesn't matter what your gender is, none of that stuff matters if you're in Christ. We talked about that last week, so go ahead and go back and listen to that if you're interested in learning more about it. But for now, Paul is saying that the mystery, and he, so he's narrowing it down, he's defining the mystery even further, is that through the gospel, Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Everybody is an heir to the promises of Jesus. Now, it kind of seems like maybe there's a couple of <laughs> mysteries here, right? It seems like Paul's contradicting himself in the letter here. But pay attention to the fact that both of the ways that he's talking about these two mysteries have to do with unity, okay? It has to do with two things coming together, um, John Stott, he's a, he's a scholar, says, uh, says this about the way that these two uh, ideas of the mystery play out together in Ephesians. This present ethnic unity is a symbol or foretaste of a future unity that will be greater and more wonderful still. So basically this, this big picture mystery that's being revealed to the whole church, Paul says in chapter 1, that there's a unity between heaven and earth that's coming together that is uh, shown in a in a uh, in a uh, proleptic, that's the only word I can think of. That's a big word, though, so that's not helpful. Um, in a future sense, right, anticipating what's going to come later on, you see that now in the present, and it's a symbol or it's a foretaste. So let's break it down what that looks like a little bit. This picture on, on your right here is a picture of, of Rosa Parks sitting on the bus. And you, you guys are all, I imagine, familiar with how this played out during the 1960s. Rosa Parks um, was, was supposed to move to the back of the bus because that's where African Americans were supposed to sit and white people were supposed to sit in the front. And she just said, no, I'm not going to do it. Right? Now, she eventually got in trouble with the law for that, but her work paid off down the line. And so when we think about it, 
when you think about that first time that she sat in the front of the bus, it was like a symbol of what would one day be true, right? Like a symbol of what wasn't true at the time, but was like showing what would someday be true because of her work, right? That, that African Americans and white people could sit anywhere on the same bus together, right? So even though at the time that she's doing this, it wasn't true yet, it was a symbol of what would soon be true because of what would happen in the civil rights movement, okay? Paul is saying that like the church coming together in unity now is kind of like a symbol of what God will do someday in the future to bring heaven and earth together. Think about the idea of a foretaste too. So this other picture up here is our picture of me and Julie's dog Kinsley. Um, she's passed out on our couch here. She lives a good life, basically. This is basically all she does. Um, so, but, so before we got Kinsley, we, um, we were not entirely sure if we wanted a dog, and so we have some friends who had a baby, and they have, their own, they have their own dog. It's the same breed as what Kinsley is, and they asked if we could watch their dog for a week, and we were like, this is actually really great. It'll give us an idea if we want to own a dog of our own someday. So we had this other dog, Penny, for a whole week, and it was a real foretaste of what having a dog was look like, and that's actually a big reason why we decided to get our own dog is because of a week with Penny. We got to figure out what it was like to own a dog, to take it out to go to the bathroom and take it on walks and to cuddle with it and to play with it and all these things. And we were like, yeah, you know what? This foretaste of having our own dog like made us want to get one of our own. And so it was kind of anticipating what was true for us sometime in the future. The church is like that, Paul, Paul says, right? The church's unity now together with each other is a foretaste. It gives us a sense for what it will be like when God comes back and unifies everything together, right? So we get to act that out in the present now, which I think is really cool. What we're doing in the church right now is supposed to anticipate what God himself will do when Jesus returns in the future. So we get to live that out in the future now. It's really awesome. And so what happens is the church becomes like an overlap between, uh, between earth and then heaven or God's space, right? And so the passage isn't saying that, um, it's not saying that like heaven and earth is like, earth is a physical place and, and heaven is a spiritual place. And, and someday those two will be brought together. That, that, that might be true, but that's not the point of the passage. The point is that um, the church gets to model or symbolize the coming together of these two circles as it lives how, uh, how things are in heaven, in God's space, where, where God rules, where, um, where, where justice flows forth, where there's no more fear or sadness or anxiety or hatred or pain. There's unity, there's love with each other, right? The church is supposed to be the overlap now, you know, while we're still stuck in this place where hatred and, and strife and sin mess everything up, right? We're still aware of that. We're still living that in a daily basis, but the church is supposed to start to be the bridging of the gap between God's space, where that stuff is no more. We get to be a taste of that now in the present. And that's this, that's this goal that we have as the church, right? And that's what Paul is saying the mystery of God's will being revealed uh, produces in the present for us, right? It produces a symbol or a foretaste of what will be true someday in the future, okay? And that pre- that's a huge privilege, I think, right? I think we should really just think about what a great privilege that is to get to, to live here, right? To, to get to model out as a group of people together what will someday be true when Jesus himself returns, okay? Let's keep going in the passage, Ephesians 3, 7 and 9. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, 
Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now Paul hints at in verse 8 here that I'm the less I'm less than the least of all God's people. Even though I'm a servant of this gospel, like no one is less worthy to be this person than me. That's what he's saying here. And so what, what Paul is, is getting at, or what we find in this passage, is that Paul himself and his, his story, right, him being able to be the bearer of this mystery, of this grace, is like a parable in many, right? Like a, like a, like a, a small picture of what is true for all of us now. His own story, which he kind of recounts here just by hinting at it, is what is true for all of us. And so when we look at what happens with Paul, we're looking at like a, a microcosm of what is true for everybody who is a part of Christ. And, and if, if you don't know about Paul's story, Paul used to, um, he used to run according to the flesh, he would, he would put it. Um, if you go back to our, our sermon through Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, he would, he would say, we used to live according to the flesh. So Paul was ruled by his flesh and actually led him to go and persecute the church. So if you don't know this about Paul, he actually was like a part of hunting down people in the church and putting them to death. He's actually a part of that until he meets Jesus on, on the road to Damascus and he gets totally wrecked by this grace. And so you would assume that, that, that Jesus would be like, okay, Paul, you know what? Stop killing my people and like maybe you sit in the back of the church and just, you know, don't mess anything up, right? That's what we would probably expect from that person is like we'd show them the smallest amount of grace. Um, but actually, it's like the opposite, right? The least worthy person, the last person that you would expect to be the one to deliver the mystery of this gospel of grace is the, is the person who gets to do it, right? And that becomes like for us like a, a parable or... Um, a, a picture of what it's like for all of us, right? When we see that that is, tr- you know, if that's the quintessential person that's giving us this message of grace, just by seeing that and knowing that that's true, that gives us hope for ourselves and anyone else. That, you know, that God's grace can come in and invade anything and break it down and, and, and that it doesn't, like, matter, right? Like, like who you are or what you've done, that that grace is available for you. Paul had, like, you know, both a positive works, right? Because he would say, like, I was the best Jew out there. I did all the all the, the right things that you're supposed to do as a Jew, and I expected God uh, to come and, and give me his grace or, or to give me what I deserve because of that, right? And that is awesome, but that didn't matter, Paul says. And that's the stuff that led him to kill Christians, okay? And so that would be like a really negative example of works, like the worst possible works. And both of those things are true for Paul at the same time, and they both don't matter one iota because he's the one that is able to give away this grace to people, to make this, mer- or this, this mystery known to people, right? And so when we look at that, that's what we're looking at ourselves in a sense. Although I don't imagine any of you have killed Christians in this room. At least I hope that's not true. Um, like we're still looking at ourselves in a mirror in a way with Paul and, and in a way that is hopeful, right? Let's keep going. Ephesians 3, 10 to 11. His intent was that now through blank, okay? So if you're reading your Bible, shut it right now or turn your phone off. I don't want you to know what this is about to say. You probably all just looked anyway. Okay, um, but we'll get back to it in a second. But I want you to think about what you think Paul is putting here, 
right? Think about what you think would be the thing that Paul is about to say is, is true here, okay? So his intent was that now, through blank, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so think a little bit about what you think would be the thing that God would reveal his wisdom to. But before we get to that, let's just talk a little bit about what's going on here, what this, this thing that reveals God's wisdom to the rulers and authorities is. Now, the rulers and authorities are something that we have already seen in the book of Ephesians. Um, in chapter, uh, chapter 1, 20 uh, through 21, Julie preached on this a few weeks ago. Um, Jesus gets raised up, up above these, these things, these rulers and authorities. He's made king over all of them and every other name that's invoked in heaven and on earth. Jesus is made king over them, okay? And then in chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, we, we learn about the ruler of the kingdom of this heir, um, and there's these, you know, these spiritual forces that were kind of being hinted at in the book of Ephesians that are a part of what God is doing, kind of, and he's, he's you know, um, they're opposed to God in some way, but Jesus has been made king over them. Then we see him again in this chapter 3 here, and actually, if we go to the very end of the book, in chapter 6, and we, we will talk about this in a few weeks, but... Um, Paul says that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, these spiritual forces of evil in the world. Okay? And Paul talks about these, these things in other books that he's written to or other letters that he writes as well. But um, what, what are these things, right? So I, I think like none of us, you know, we probably have heard about like spiritual forces like Satan and, and demons and different things opposed to God. Um, and we, we, you know, that's what this is talking about, right? But the language is really precise, and Paul doesn't actually spend that much time telling us about it, and really, because they're not actually that important. <laughs> um, we, we learn a few things about them um, from time to time, and we learn that they're opposed to God, and they're working through us in some different way, um, and that God has a goal to show t- his wisdom to them, to let them know, hey, guess what? Jesus has been made king over you, right? The things that you're trying to do, the way you're opposing God, that stuff doesn't really work out. But what we do know about them, while it's very little, here's, here's basically a way you can think about it. The rulers and authorities are these spiritual forces who are, are a part of the evil in the world in some way, but not themselves solely responsible for it. So think about it like Russia hacking, okay? Um, the Russians are not the rulers and authorities. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but So you guys are all aware of the Russian hacking that's been going on for a little while now. Um, Basically, what Russia did, um, in case you have been living under a rock for the last few years, is they hacked into uh, Facebook and other social media we use to try to like mess with us before our election, right? And they tried to stir the pot, and they would um, they would create Twitter bots, and they'd even create events like Facebook events to try to get people out from like both sides of the political spectrum to come out, and they tried to basically stir up what was already here for us, right? Like, there was already a lot of partisan tension and a lot of, like, hatred of different parties against each other, and the Russians tried to use hacking to try to stir that up even more, stir the pot and make it worse than it already was, right? Now, they didn't create the tension, but they tried to stir it up and make it worse, and so they're kind of working behind the scenes, and they're partially involved for, like, all the vitriol that is true for us in America right now, but they're not totally responsible, right? We're responsible for that too. Um, and that's kind of what the rulers and authorities do, right? They're not responsible for the evil, but they like to work through humans who already have uh, sin in them, right? Who are, we already are, are a part of 
you know, as we talked about in, in chapter 2, like we already have this flesh inside us that causes us to, uh, to run after our own desires, right? And to, and to uh, f- uh, chase after those um, in the midst of everything else, like for our own good over everybody else, right? And to, to commit evil, and we talked about the way in which that is something that's true of all of us, right? That's something that's inside of all of us. And the rulers and authorities, being opposed to God, want to try to work through us to stir up what's already there, right? To ruin God's creation. That's their goal. And they do it by working through humans in different ways. That's, they're trying to stir that up in us. Trying to twist us and twist the world into God's own, into their own evil image, right? That's their goal. Um, so what, when we get to this part of the book, Paul is saying God is going to show them that this plan that he has, that we've been talking about to redeem the world, is working and that he's got a trophy you could think of it, to show them that this plan has worked. And that trophy, if we get back to this thing I, I, I blanked out earlier, is us. It's the church. We are that trophy. We are that trophy that God is showing off to these rulers and authorities who are opposed to him, who want to mess everything up in his world, that we ourselves are his trophy to show them, um, guess what? The stuff that you're trying to do doesn't work. I've actually overcome you. And if you want to you want to know that, like, look at my church. Look at this people that I have brought together. I've made them one. I've, I've made them new themselves, right? And that is the, the proof in the pudding to show, you, um, to show you that your stuff that you're trying to do doesn't work anymore. Okay, I've overcome it. You could think of it like you've heard of flexing, right? Like, you want to flex on them? Have you guys heard this before? Like, God is flexing on them to show the rulers and authorities that guess what? Yeah, it doesn't work. no. The church is me flexing on you guys to show you. Um, <laughs> you guys, I think some of you guys are following me and the rest are very confused right now, right? The church is flexed, God flexing on the rulers and authorities, okay? Or think about it like this. This was popular for like a week, I think. But, you know, the not today Satan, right? Like you get up in the morning, you're like, not today Satan. You're not going to ruin my day today, right? Well, when God wants to say not today Satan, he, he does it, you know, we do it by being the church, right? That's how we say not today, Satan, is by just by being the church. That's what Ephesians 3 is telling us. All right, one, one, one more way, way to think about this. I talked about the trophy, right? So here's, this is Tom Brady, New England Patriots quarterback. Um, he's, so every time a, a major sports team wins a, a championship, they do a, like, they do like a parade through their city where they're showing off to everyone else that they won, they won this, this uh, Super Bowl or whatever it is, right? And they, you know, usually the Super Bowl MVP or whoever it is has got the trophy and they're showing it off to everyone and the rest of the country just has to watch it and kind of like be like, I wish that was us right now. And so you guys probably have never heard of this because we live in Minnesota where this stuff never happens. Um, <laughs> But in theory, if the Vikings were to ever win a Super Bowl, we would have a parade through downtown Minneapolis in 10 degree below weather probably. So it wouldn't even be fun. But like, okay, think about it like this, right? The church is God showing this parade off and we're the trophy that he's showing off to his opponents, these rulers and authorities, that guess what? I'm the one who won this thing, not you guys, despite your best efforts, okay? And pause for the irony of this, right? This all comes not from God defeating them in some normal sense that we would think, right? Not like a military victory, not like a dominating his opponent. That's how we would tend to think that this comes, but it actually comes as Jesus dies on a cross, right? 
you know, Paul talks about this in other places, but the rulers and authorities thought that they defeated Jesus when they nailed him to a cross, right? When they worked through these, these humans, the Pharisees, the, the Jews, the Romans, to nail Jesus to a cross, they thought that they'd won. And actually, they were de- defeated themselves as Jesus dies on the cross for us and rises again, okay? And so, when that happens, right, when we're in Christ, when we ourselves, in union with him, we talked about that in the first week, are ourselves nailed to that cross and rise again, we become that trophy that God uses to, sh- to flex on, on the rulers and authorities, all right? Let's keep moving through the passage, Ephesians 3, uh, 12 to 13. In, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. All right, so I want you to take this, put a piece of gum on that, put it right next to the other thing on your chair that you were thinking about. We'll get to this in a little bit, all right? Let's jump into some application from the passage, though, all right? So first off, we need to see ourselves, us, the church, Resurrection Shitty Church here, um, as God's wisdom, okay? Now, not in our ability to fix everything, not in our ability to, uh, to be awesome and be perfect all the time and to never mess up or anything like that, but in the normal things that we do, like in the normal rhythms, in us gathering here together and proclaiming uh, the gospel to one another, in us taking communion, in us worshiping God, in us living unified, uh, in us going out and doing the work of the church in the world, we are being God's wisdom. We are showing off what God has done. Um, and we, are, um, we are, are living that out, right? We are being that trophy. We are that trophy in that trophy case gleaming to the rest of the world and showing, like, this is what God has done, right? Um, you know, and the church has been, like, the church has been, God has been flexing on the world for a long time. It's not like we're just figuring this out now and we're trying to live it out. Um, just a quick, like, jump through history shows us the way in which the advent of the church, right, the bringing of the church has actually been a really good thing for society. Rodney Stark is a uh, sociologist of religion. Actually, he was not a Christian before he started studying the effects of Christianity in the world and became a Christian after doing that. Um, but he says, just as science arose only once, so too did effective moral opposition to slavery. Christian theology was essential to both. So in this book, For the Glory of God, and he's not the only one that has done, has made this point, but basically if we trace back the history of science rising up, right, modern science, this thing that has revolutionized the world, he says it would not actually have been possible without Christian theology behind it, without people in the church who wanted to know more about God, who wanted to study this world that they thought God had created, Science would never have arisen in the way that we have it now. So the church, Christian theology, is actually essential in that project coming about. And so today we have all these debates about science and religion and this conflict between them. And we're actu- in actuality, science would never have arisen without Christianity. The same is true with slavery. Again, Christians have been complicit with a lot of really terrible things to do with slavery in the past. All right, So don't hear me saying that, but... Um, if we look back historically, the first people to really start to question the institution of slavery, which for, for centuries was just the way everything got done. It was like electricity in the ancient world. The first people to start to question whether or not that like, people actually might all have rights and that this would be an evil thing to do to people was Christians. Okay? That was the first time that this really ever happened. Um, and so the church, God's establishment of the church, has as we've looked back through history, has actually been 
him redeeming and making his creation better, just through the church being the church and worshiping him and studying him and, and, and understanding Christian theology. This has actually done amazing things in the world. And it has started to, again, slowly bridge the gap between God's space starting to overlap with our space, with God's values and his, his, his kingdom starting to come to bear on earth. Even if it's slowly, it's not always in major ways, but through the church being the church, that overlap starts to happen. And that's what Paul is saying is the goal of the church here. Um, now, sometimes, like, we might ask ourselves, well, what is the church, right, when you think about it? And we could have all these different answers, right? It, the church is a place I go to on Sundays to hang out with my friends. We sing some songs together. We, you know, I give my money and I can write it off as charitable giving to this organization, um, right? Maybe I learn something every once in a while. And we have potlucks sometimes, if you came from a church that did potlucks growing up, um, uh, you get free coffee and bread when you come. Like, <laughs> I can get something from from the preacher. Maybe I can get fed in some way, and you know, or or maybe you think of church as just a building, right? I think that's a lot of ways that we talk about church as a building. Which this is a school. This is not actually a church building, um, in case you weren't aware of that. So, like, the church is is way more than all that stuff, right? And this vision that we're getting from what the church is in the book of Ephesians. And this is like a whole reason why we wanted to uh, you do the book of Ephesians right as we started this church plan off. Because of this grand vision for what the church is. I, I really want us to, to, to get this in deep, right? To understand this very clearly as we, um, as we go out and we act as a church in the Hamlin Midway area. That's why we planted this church in the first place. is because of this high view of what God is doing through his people, Right? We want to expand that, right? We want to make that overlap just a little bit bigger, right? Even if it's just slightly, slightly bigger. We want to expand that overlap here in this neighborhood. That's our goal. That's why we, we planted this church here, okay? And so if the church is so central to God's purposes, it has to be central to us as well, okay? We, we can't take lightly something that God takes so seriously. And so I want to challenge you. Like, if you, if you find... Um, some other description for the church when you think about what it is. Like, I want to challenge you to, to try to, you know, expand your imagination of what the church is to what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. Our second point of application, this kind of spins off of the first one, is the church has to actively and passively proclaim Christ to the powers and to the world. Right? So actively, we have to go out, we have to like share this with people, right? We have to, that has to be on our lips, right? We don't have to be obnoxious about it. We don't have to be um, offensive about it or anything. But like this should, you know, people should know that we believe this is true. You know, that Jesus has come, that he's, he's saved us, that he's making this overlap between heaven and earth, right? And it's through the church and it should get us to want to invite people in to this and be a part of what we're doing and, and ask them to join us in this, in this thing that God is doing. And it comes from us preaching grace just like Paul does, right? This is Paul's goal is to reveal the mystery to us of God's grace but not just so we can just, you know, hang out and study it on our own or talk about it amongst ourselves, but so we can go out and let other people know about this too, okay? That's the goal, is that this expands outward ever more. So we do that actively. But another way we do it is passively, and not just as a, in how we live, right? Like, in how we, we, we interact with one another, right? Are we living out unity here, right? Are we living out grace with one another here? 
Okay, are we living differently in the type of way that challenges the, the rulers and the authorities, right, and their purposes for this neighborhood and, and the neighborhoods we live in and, and the places we work, right? Are we living differently to challenge that, to show that something new and something better than that has is, is come upon us in Jesus, okay? And so I want to challenge you to ask yourself, like, are we different? Like, are we living differently? Am I living differently? Paul's going to talk more about, like I said, he's going to get more practical in, in the back half of Ephesians, and he's going to talk about um, specific ways that we live this out. So we'll get there, but I just want to like, ask yourself that question as we start to head into that part of the book of Ephesians. Like, how am I living differently? Like, you know, how am I living in this overlap? You know, what, is that, what does that look like? Do people look at me or people look at us as a church and say, wow, that's something different, and I'm really attracted to that. I want to be a part of that. Right? I want to be a part of what God is doing in this church, Resurrection City, in the Hamlin Midway neighborhood. So living this out actively and living it out passively, they go hand in hand. And we have to be mindful of that. And we have to work at it. And we have to be intentional about it. Because it doesn't come naturally. Trust me. Um, and so I have a confession to make. Like, I get discouraged sometimes when I think about living all this out. Right? We talk about this huge vision for what God is doing and our part in it. Like, actually sometimes makes me feel discouraged because I'm like, how is this going to work? Like, you know, it, 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 like, is this going to work? Like, is this going to be successful? Like, uh, I feel the presence of, um, of these rulers and authorities, of the, the ways in which this world is structured, and it's discouraging sometimes to look at that and think about it, right? If I'm being honest, like, like that's true of me sometimes. Um, and so, um, when, we, when we get back into the passage, though, and I told you to kind of save this for later, I think... Um, Paul talks a little bit about this. He says, in him and through him, we, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So Paul's in prison, right? Remember, remember I said Paul's in prison? Um, and, um, and, and he's saying, like, okay, so I'm in prison, right? Which might discourage all of you, right? I'm the one that probably started this church and I'm pastoring all of you from afar and I'm writing to you and the fact that that I'm in prison might like discourage you you might look at it and say like if we do what Paul's doing are we going to get thrown in prison too like that's not a good thing (laughs) you know or is that showing that this work that God is doing is actually getting uh, shut down in some way right and Paul is saying no you shouldn't be discouraged right now um Instead, you should approach God with freedom and confidence. So we have the ability to approach God. So if we're discouraged, like our answer shouldn't be uh, to turn from God, right? Or to hide that from God or to, to just kind of uh, cower in the corner. It should actually be to approach God with freedom, with confidence, to tell him how we're feeling. Say like, I'm discouraged about this, this, this message that I heard on Sunday morning or this passage I'm reading, right? About my role in it. Like I'm discouraged about that in some way. We should go to God with that because we have that opportunity now through Christ. And then Paul's also telling them, listen, um, it, I'm in prison. It may look like the rulers and authorities have won. It might look like they have actually kept me from doing this thing. But look at what God has done in the world. Like, don't be discouraged about that because actually me being in prison is moving the ball further down the field. Um, you know, that's being used for good. Paul talks about in, in Philippians about that a little bit more. But actually him being in prison actually helps it to spread all the more, right? More people are hearing about it from that. Um, and as more people see Paul's encouragement while he's in prison, that inspires them even further to go out and to live this out, right? The way that Paul lives, him being different. And if that's true, like, 
nothing that these rulers and authorities can do or try to do to stop the spread of the church is going to work, right? Not if we keep finding encouragement even in the midst of that. And so our last point of application, building on that, is to be encouraged by what God has done in the world through the church, okay? Take heart. Like when you hear about what God has done through his church in history, when you look at what God is doing in his church in other parts of the world where you see Christianity exploding, right? Take heart at who God is, what he's doing, and how he's bridging and making that overlap even bigger uh, through the church, right? And then be excited about our opportunity to be part of that as well. We're going to enter into uh, a time of communion, as we always do, where we are um, going to... Uh, reflect on the grace that uh, Christ has, has, has given us through the breaking of his uh, body and the shedding of his blood. And so um, we ask you, please take part in that, right? Even if you're just visiting us this Sunday, please take part in taking communion with us to here today. We just, we just ask that you follow Jesus and, and call him Lord. Um, and, um, and Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 26, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's come, let's take communion together. And as we do that, let's, let's understand that we're proclaiming Jesus' death until he comes, till he bridges and brings heaven and earth all the way together again. Let, let's, let's take part in, in, in building that overlap here at Res City Church, okay? Okay. Um, you we're going to have some worship going on during that, so we invite you to take part in worship. And if you'd like to worship through giving, which we think is, is also a way that we worship God, we'll have a, a box in the back, or you can uh, donate um, on, online, and you have some info on your welcome card for that. So I'll pray, and then we'll enter into that time of communion. Father, we, we thank you uh, that we get to be part of your purposes in the world to uh, bring heaven and earth together, Lord. We thank you that you've revealed your mystery to us and um, that you give us the opportunity, not just on Sundays, um, but every day through the week to, to, to be your church in the world. I pray that um, our vision for that would, would expand and grow ever further um, and so that we have the same vision for it that you do um, and that as we do that, you would... Uh, encourage us, Lord, to go out even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, um, and help us to, uh, to understand the ways you're working in the world um, and working through us, even if those things seem hard or hidden to us. Um, we pray that you be with us as we, as we worship you um, and be with us as, as we go out from this place, Lord. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen.